Hello, I'm David Sparks, and joined by my co-host, Rosemary Orchard, and this is The Automators, where we talk about how to automate your technology to do your work for you. Hello, Rosemary. Hey, David. How are you today? I'm great, and always looking forward to talking some automators. We've got um, a lot on deck for today's show, but also we are recording this, you know, as WWDC is getting closer, and Apple gives us our annual list of goodies for automation. We've got some show content planned on that. If you've got some big wish, something you'd like to see Apple improve or add to automation, let us know. It may show up in a future show. We'd love to hear about it. There's a forum on the website where you can send us feedback. That'd be probably the best way to get it to us. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, I mean, that's all coming just around the corner. Yeah, it is. It's always exciting, you know, theorizing what Apple are going to give us, having those hopes and dreams, which may or may be granted, you know, or maybe, you know, I'm not going to say smashed, deferred by another year. Um, But um, one of the things that I have noticed, and I'm sure you've noticed this as well, David, is Apple, you know, they give us the big stuff at WWDC, but they they tell us what's their big stuff that's coming. Not all of that comes out in September, October, um, but then other stuff will come in throughout the year as well even though we weren't expecting it. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some some shortcuts updates that have happened relatively recently later. Um, but uh, it's quite nice getting that stuff. So, you know, you, we, we've got the big gift time of the year where we get to find out about all the cool stuff. And then, yeah. you know, we get the little gift times, which just give us those little ben- benefits and bonuses, as well as the bug fixes and improvements that we all know and love. Amen. Uh, but today we're here. We've got a couple topics, but the main one today is Airtable. Uh Mm. Airtable feels like the the app that comes up so often on our show. Guests use it. You and I use it. And they have always been automation friendly. That's one of the reasons why I think we've always been such fans. But that has got better recently. Yeah, it has. Um, and it's not just that it's got better. It's it's changed a little bit as well. So first of all, uh, you know, a little public service announcement here. If you are a user of Airtable and you have been ignoring the emails and, and things from them about the API stuff, uh, you should know that the way that the API tokens work is going to change, which means that if you have a token that you've had for a couple of years, you're going to need to update that and replace that. And they've got a little blog post explaining, um, you know, how and why the, the API keys are being deprecated. Essentially, better security. We love better security. Um, and in this case, it really is for your security as well as everything else. You know, if you've ever accidentally included your Airtable token in a shortcut that you've sent to a friend and gone, ah, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. Well, then this update is for you. Um, or, you know, if you're Matthew Casanelli, as he mentioned on uh the recent episode of Ice Day where he's accidentally revealed it on stream more than once, uh, you know, replacing that token was pretty awkward and tricky. And now now they have personal access tokens as well as um, OAuth for integration so that you can do a sort of sign-in workflow like you would sign in with Apple with things you would sign in with Airtable to authenticate something, which basically just means you just need to create a new token, stick that in your shortcuts and be done with it. But that does mean you're going to have to go back and touch all those old Airtable shortcuts. And if you're doing that, it might be a good time to update them to do something like, I don't know, maybe what I do, which is get your API token out of DataJar so that then you've only got one place that you need to update your token if you need to change something later. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nice. I feel like the product has kind of matured. I mean, it started with all these great automation hooks in it, but you know, as it's become adopted by big fancy companies, they've had to kind of button down their security a bit. And uh, you know, congratulations on on the next level to Airtable. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, that next level to Airtable comes with um, some changes. Now, they have a nice handy change log on their website, so you can actually go through and read all of the changes. Um, but one of the things that they have done is they've actually um, updated. So you can still, if you go to api.airtable.com, it will redirect you um, to the actual um, Airtable uh uh, API documentation page, uh, which has moved, but it's okay. It still works the same way it did before, where you can click on a a, a, a table or a base, an Airtable base, and and get your documentation for your specific use case. Um, but they've also improved things so that you can click on, for example, sync CSV data with uh, over on the left and see what does sync CSV data mean? Like, how can I do this? And what, why would I do this maybe? Um, and, uh, then figure out, um, you know, how to do that. And each of these, um, API setups, um, that you can use tells you what kind of authentication you'll need as well. So there might be some things which would need OAuth authentication, but pretty much everything will let you use a personal access token from all the things we've been using anyway. So that's going to be nice and easy. So you can go through and check stuff there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's quite nice being able to see, you know, how do I delete multiple records at once, um, and, and things like that. And just as a generic option, instead of purely the specific, this is how I do this with my base before, where you then have to figure out the abstract version. I just want to take a minute to talk about how we're using Airtable at this point. I mean, the product's evolving and, uh, both of us have, have uses for it. I, I'll go first. I'm, I'm not using it as uh, as with as much automation as I probably should to be true through full. I've got the Airtable is very handy for team database and uh, tracking mm-hmm. communications. Uh, for instance, I've got one where I list all the sponsors that I have on the various things I do, not the podcast, but the other stuff. And I share that with someone who helps me do the back end, getting the posts up, making sure everything's done, the bills go out, et cetera. And it's just so handy because it's like a very powerful, I guess, database. Um, it also has a mm-hmm. spreadsheet element to it. But uh, and we, um, we, but we can both update it and keep track of everything. Um, I can use se- several of the cloud-based automation tools to send me notes, like when a payment comes in. Mm-hmm. And, and then another big use for me with Airtable, in fact, really the biggest use for me with Airtable is the field guides that I make. Um, we we tried a bunch of different tools to kind of track status of how things are going. Um, we had Google Docs, we had you know shared uh, Apple documents, and we tried all these different systems. The one though that immediately stuck for us was Airtable. Mm-hmm. So so for each new field guide, we have this Airtable, and I can see you know who's working on it. Like if there's editing being done by someone else. Uh, then I can see, you know, if it's on his desk, if it needs closed captioning, I can see that. Uh, I can see exactly where it is in the production pipeline. And then we have all these different filters applied so you can change the view. So if I just want to see the ones that I'm actively working on this week, I push one button and it's there. It's just such a, a great database application, but the inclusion of a simple cloud interface where anybody can get in and access it and create their own views it, this app is really great, and I've never paid for it. I've always been using it to uh, such a degree that I'm I'm not using it enough to to require to pay. But man, I'm getting so much value out of this this free product for me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I do pay for Airtable, um, and uh, so I'm on the pro plan now. 
Um, just a little clarification. So in Airtable, you've got your bases, which are your individual sort of databases yeah. slash spreadsheety things because they've got individual tabs so you can have multiple tables in your database um, to use, um, you know, the, the pure programming terminology, kind of like she's a spreadsheet. And then you can have views on each ones of those. Um, but the number of records in your base um, is limited. Um, but your bases kind of live in, in groups and you pay for a plan for that group and for the number of people in the group. Um, so if you've got seven people in a group who are all sharing 10 bases, then you need to pay for each of the seven people for that pro plan. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm fortunate I was able to get the bases that I need to keep, um, you know, lots of data in into plans just for me uh, or into a, a, a group with a, a, a plan just for me. Um, and so I, I pay for that and I've got, you know, unlimited extensions. Um, I've I've got as many records per base as I want and so on. Um, there's also a plus plan, which allows you to have three extensions per base, three sync integrations and 5,000 records. Um, I did hit the 5,000 records on quite a few of my air tables at some point. Um, and so I, I just went for the pro plan because I wanted to play with those extensions as well. But the thing that I really like about Airtable is, you know, what you were saying, David, it's kind of like a, a spreadsheet database. It looks very user friendly, which is nice. It's pretty when you go to look at it. But for me, the real killer is the fact that I can have different views. And so you've got a grid view, which kind of looks a little bit like a, a spreadsheet. Uh, there's a form view to enable easy data entry. Um, there's a Kanban view to allow you to do sort of Kanban type things with stuff. There's a list view um, and a gallery view. Um, and you can choose which bits of information you see on each, um, you know, sort of kind of poster representation in the gallery. Um, and then there's some pro options, which are uh, timelines and Gantt charts, which are the other reason why I'm using the pro plan, because I really wanted some timelines and some Gantt charts uh, for some of my stuff. Um, but, you know, for example, we have a shared Airtable um, for automators, which has got our show planning in. So that's got, you know, columns for the episode number and the title and guests and things like that. Um, and then it combines the episode number and the title or the guest name. Uh, to make um, the actual episode title, which is then used to automatically create Google documents for us. Um, and we have a status field, which is very nice. And then this in a Kanban view can move across automatically from, or can be dragged across from planning um, to, um, what well, I can't remember the one that comes after planning, to be honest, I've I've kind of forgotten. Um, <laughs> there we go, scheduled, recorded. Um, and then there's also some, some options for idea and, and released. Um, and, and it's really nice to have that, um, as our options, but then uh, we've got two calendars, which are ultimately generated from this. It shows us, um, our recording calendar and it can also show us a release calendar so that we'll know when something is going to be released, um, you know, and, and can see that automatically and subscribe to that if we want to. Um, but we don't have to, um, and it, it's just very useful to be able to go through and have this. And then, you know, so our main, main sort of table or, um, area is, um, you know, the show planning, but then we also have separate sections for guests. So any guests that we've had on the show, or we'd like to have on the show, have an entry there. We, we can note down who the primary contact person is. So if, you know, I'm the primary person who talks to them, or if you are David, um, and then we've got a list of the past episodes they've been on. So, you know, um, if, uh, for example, um, Ken Case came on the show, then we'd be able to look at it and go, well, he was last on in episode 51. Um, and so it's probably time that we asked him if he'd be, uh, open to, uh, coming back there. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's nice to be able to just sort of, um, you know, go through and have this and it's nice to look at 
you know, you look at it and you're not immediately going, ooh, this is a really techie dev tool. I mean, it's not, depending on what views you use and so on, it, it may not be, you know, the the prettiest tool in the world because it's got a lot of data, but that's kind of up to you and what data you put in there. But where it really excels is the integrations. You know, I mentioned when we when we plan automators, it automatically creates a Google Doc for us. And that happens through make.com where it plucks out a bunch of data um, and it, it creates a, a Google Doc for us and reformats some stuff. And then it puts a link to the Google Doc in the record in um, Airtable for us so that we can just click on that and go to it and ta-da, we're there. Um, and that that is really, for me, where the magic gets massively extended because yeah. all of this stuff is available through the various APIs and whether you want to just write a shortcut or use drafts or something to interact with Airtable directly, or if you want to use a service like Make um, or um, that was previously called Integromat, Zapier, or if this and that, then you know, you've you've got options there, which is really nice. I feel like um, this is a no-brainer if you're working with a team and you're not using Notion. I think there is a bit of a tipping point with Notion because you can do a lot of this with Notion tables, but Airtable is better at it, in my experience, and it's more automation-friendly. So even if you're using Notion, you could make the argument that you'd want an Airtable, but I know a lot of people that use Notion that, that put this kind of information in notion tables themselves. But, um, I, I do think it's really just it shines with collaboration. Yes, absolutely. It does. And it's really nice to be able to, you know, just have that information in a way that everybody can look at it. And because you can create views and you can share those views with other people, you can say whether a view is collaborative or on the pro plans, you can also say if it's only available for you and also if it's locked so that people can't change it. Um, but, um, the fact that you can have views that are shared, then that means that, you know, somebody says, okay, well, I'm in show planning and I'm looking at the recording and I don't see episode 128. Um, then you can say, well, are you, are you in May? Are you, are you definitely in the right month? <laughs> you know, are you May, May 2023? Cause it's right there. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know that you're looking at the same thing at the same time, which definitely makes a huge difference when it comes to this sort of thing. Yeah, and you're going to end up talking me into the pro plan before we finish, Rose. I can already. Well, see I don't know if I will. It's it's one of those things. The pro plan because like because you have essentially folders for bases, and um, anybody that you share bases within that folder needs to have the pro plan paid for, and you pay for the plans per folder as well. Um, it could end up getting pricey pretty quickly if you need to share a lot of data with a lot of people and have everybody sort of interact with it and and move it around. Yeah, that that's what and that's what always gets me in trouble when I look at how much it costs because you're right, I've got multiple people accessing the data. Yeah, exactly. Um and you know, that's that's not really a surprise um that that, that happens. It's just uh, you know, one of those things, you know. We are we're lucky that the automator stuff so far hasn't needed to go into the pro plan section, but at some point it might need to. Um I recently um the the iOS today feedback that gets sent into the show iOS today um, recently hit the the free plan limit of the number of rows in the table. Um, and I was able to simply go through and delete all the stuff that was, um, you know, marked as done over a year ago. And turns out that that pretty nicely cleaned it up um, and th solved that problem for us. Um, but, you know, if you've got a lot of data, um, then it, it can end up needing you to upgrade to the next plan. But at the same time, it $10 a month um, per person in that in that group um 
maybe not so bad, especially considering the fact you get automatic table syncing, five gigabytes of attachments. You can even do like form branding and stuff, which if you're using it for like customer feedback or in your case, the, you know, Sparky Labs, um, you know, submissions or of requests or similar, then that could be really nice. Plus six months of revision and snapshot history. Yeah. If you want to go back and, and see what changes you made, then then that could be worthwhile. Yeah, and why the reason why I don't really run into a problem with this, like uh, my field guides are usually around a hundred videos, so it's mm-hmm. it's a hundred lines, you know. Then we make a new base for each guide, you know. So yeah, we're just never going to hit it with the the way we're using it. But it, it's it's a great app, and I'm really pleased to see that they're expanding their their APIs and yes. making it even better for people that want to automate. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like one of the things that's coming um, to the API, which, um, you know, some people, myself included, have asked for before, um, is um, the ability to get a list of your bases and um, the list of views in the bases uh, through the API. Now, I should say, you know, this says it's coming, which is great. You know, we love this. Um, but the the downside of this coming is the fact that that is an enterprise-only feature. Um, so you'd need to be on the enterprise plan to get that, which is kind of a shame, but I, I get it. At the same time, you know, they have to have limits. Um, and I believe um, various integrations can also um, uh, hook into that without you needing to pay for the enterprise plan. Like that's how Zapier gets a list of all of the different bases and so on that you've got available to apply your Zapier apps to. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash automators to get high-speed, secure, and anonymous VPN services, and you get three extra months for free. It's so easy now to have multiple streaming services, and the cost of them adds up. That's why it can be good to discover ways to make the most out of your existing subscriptions. Quite often, streaming services like Netflix actually have thousands more shows than you think. You just don't see them because they give you different shows depending on where you're located. So what you see on Netflix here is completely different to what someone in Italy or South Korea sees. But using the ExpressVPN app, you can change your online location. ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from, so when you run out of stuff to watch, you can switch to another country to unlock new shows. Lately, I had a Back to the Future itch, so I watched it on Canadian Netflix, and it's still great. And I do that by tapping one button to change my country and refreshing the page. That means you don't need to pay for an extra streaming service to watch new stuff. At less than $7 a month, ExpressVPN pays for itself and so much more. It's a no-brainer. So if you want to get way more shows and save money while you're at it, go to expressvpn.com slash automators. Don't forget to use the automators link so you can get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash automators. ExpressVPN dot com slash automators to learn more. And our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of the automators and all of Relay FM. All right. Now, Airtable also got some great new integration with one of our favorite apps, Drafts. Yeah, it did. Um, so this came out in Drafts Update 37, which came out uh, a little while ago, uh, not that long ago. Um, but uh, yeah, and it's it's been there for a little bit and I've kind of been kicking the tires on it and playing with it a bit because I have a lot of stuff that uses Airtable and Drafts um, already. And what I was doing is I was just writing scripts 
um, and using um, the API through, you know, the the API documentation and so on to do this. Um, and that was fine. Um, you know, it certainly worked. Um, but, it, you know, it, it meant that if I needed to be able to, say, update a record, I had to be like, I had to go through and create a script for it to do that. Um, and now Drafts has added not just scripting support, which we'll get to in a little bit, but they've added um, a simple action to uh, actually send data to Airtable. Um, and so now in the actions that you create, and these are the actions so over, that display on the right-hand side with Drafts, so you'll you'll need the, the Drafts Pro um, subscription to be able to create and edit actions. Um, but then once you've got that, as you create an action, one of the things that you can do is actually send to Airtable. And so there is an Airtable option right there. Um, which is just nice as one of the steps, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a simple UI step. There's no scripting involved really. Um, and then you can actually use that information to, you know, do whatever it is you want with. Um, and I really appreciate the fact that Greg has, has gone over gone through and done this, um, because, you know, being able to add, um, something there, um, does just make it nice and easy. And I think a lot of people would like to be able to do more with things like drafts, but the idea of scripting scares them a little bit. And, you know, that's that's understandable. Um, so now you know, you don't actually have to start by writing a script to do this or start by borrowing somebody else's script. You can start by using the nice, simple UI action to do so. Yeah. I mean, drafts updates are so great. And if you ever have time, if you're a drafts user, you should check out their release notes page just because first of all, they're currently on version 39. I think it's the only app I know that's on version 39, but that's, that's partially the, just the way he numbers them. But it, it also is true. It seems like every update has substantial new features. In addition to the Airtable stuff in update 38, they added a mail drop where you can automatically send a note to your drafts with a secret email address. And that's mm-hmm. part that's part of the pro plan, but I've already incorporated that into some of my automation. You know, anytime I want to capture text and I just send it to that that mail drop number, I can I can get it in my draft. So if you were like working at somebody else's computer or you're on a public machine or whatever, you can just send it off and, and put it in very quickly. That that was a huge feature. And then they also came out with the most recent version, uh, open AI support. So it's got chat GPT scripting built into the application. There's just, there's no app like drafts on the iPhone. There aren't many apps you can say that about, but there just really isn't anything like this. No, no. And I think that's the thing. It is uh, special and gets mentioned in so many episodes and used so much of the time by, you know, not just us, but also a lot of the folks listening to this um, show, because it is such um, a useful and powerful app. So one of the things that you can use um, in the Airtable support for creating records is you can use drafts tags. Now, tags are something that you can um, use in, for example, an insert text action in drafts, where um, you would use two square brackets um, to open something, and then you, you type a thing, and then you type two closing square brackets. Um, but these these things that you can insert, for example, uh, could be for the word created, um, and just the word created is going to insert the created date of the draft. But then um, not only do you have that, you've also got, you know, the title of the draft, um, the the actual content of the draft, you know, your whole draft. Um, and you've also got um, t- ones that you can create. So you can actually have an action that creates a template. Um, 
uh, or you can use a prompt to ask you for things. Um, and then you've got your defaults, such as the UUID, which is the unique identifier for the draft, a permalink, um, a safe title, which is, um, you know, any um, weird characters that might not let you save uh, something into a file system removed, um, a display title. Um, so it will remove any um, spaces at the start and the end of your title. And it will also remove the hashes at the beginning of a title too. Um, a trimmed body. So it'll get you the body of your draft, um, but take any um, white space and blank lines and spaces away from the start and the end. Um, you can get your selection, you can get the tags, you can get the title, you can get specific lines. So if you type line and then you, you type a pipe um, and then you type two, that will give you line two of your draft. If you type line pipe two dot dot five, it'll give you lines two through five. But if you just type line two dot dot, then it'll give you um, lines two through to the end of the draft. And this is this is really useful because you can combine all of this and you can then take that into that Airtable action that I was talking about. So that means that you can do things like insert the longitude at which you created your draft into an Airtable field record because you've got that information and you don't have to, you know, use touch a script at all. You can literally open the draft te drafts um, templates um uh, site, which I'm going to link in the show notes. Um, and then you can copy the bits that you want and then paste them into the, the Airtable uh, action and done. Um, and if you want, you can even do things like format the dates um, in pretty ways um, or not so pretty ways if you want things like ISO formats. Um, and it's just really useful to be able to do things like that. Like, you know, you can even get your current clipboard using this. Um, and so because this is an option and it links into everything else, you know, that's the simple templating. Imagine, David, that you need to create a series of records. For example, you're upcoming, um, you know, or uh, you're creating a new field guide. So you create um, some drafts which will let you, you know, do some um, scripting to, you know, create the drafts of the actual, you know, individual videos that you want to create. Um, or, you know, ideas. And then you, you know, use some prompts to ask you some questions and then, um, you know, snap, send this over to Airtable. But you can even have like Airtable have a link back to your draft. And maybe that only works for you because you're not sharing your drafts with anybody else, but that's still there um, so that you've got that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really nice to be able to do that. So often drafts becomes like a front end for other services in that exactly that way, because it just gives you an easy way, you know, to capture the text and turn it into something more powerful. Yes, exactly. And I think that's the thing, you know, I've been using it a lot for packing lists recently um, because I've got some some trips upcoming that I'm going to need uh, to, you know, take stuff on. And it's been really nice and simple and easy to just, you know, be able to have a drafts widget on my phone, which shows me, you know, a couple of things. It gives me a plus to create a new draft. It's got a sort of clipboard icon, which will create a draft for my clipboard. Um, but now I've got my workspaces and I can see that I've got three packing lists. If I tap on packing list, it will open my packing list workspace um, and it will give me my list of packing lists right there. And I can tap on, you know, one of them um, and just go straight to that. Um, but I could also just run actions because, you know, if I wanted to have something that pops up, um, you know, pops open drafts and it props open a prompt and says, okay, you know, what's the name? Um, and then the next prompt says, and, um, you know, where, 
Um, and then, you know, it, maybe it takes those two and it takes the date and time today and then it creates um, an Airtable record for me. I can put that in a widget as well so that I've got this ability to quickly start creating text somewhere um, and just use it from the home screen of my phone. But it's it's not it, it's no longer just a text tool. It is an automation tool that happens to use text as a lot of it. But you don't actually have to create a draft to do a lot of the automation, which is really cool. Yeah, and because Greg never rests, they've also added mustache templates to drafts, yeah. which is another markup syntax, I guess you'd call it. How do you do well, you use mustache? Yes, I do use mustache. I wouldn't say it's it's a markup syntax. It's not like markdown is, yeah. um, for example. Um, but essentially, um, you know, going back to the the insert text action that I mentioned before, where you could just have it insert, you know, the title of a draft, um, for example. I'm not quite sure why you'd want to reinsert the title in your current draft, but moving on from that, say you have an action that creates a new draft. Okay, this is a, a much more common one. Well, you might want to say, okay, like, hey, if I'm creating this as a um, flagged draft, then I want this these words to appear. But if it's not flagged, then I want um, those words to appear instead. And this is something you can do with mustache templating. And you can write this into the um, create draft or the insert um, uh, text actions and then use that, you know, as, as part of this. So, um, I mentioned before the two square brackets on drafts template tags um, and, and templates. This mustache templating uses two curly brackets. Um, and so that that lets you, you know, see the difference very quickly and easily. Um, and then you can say, for example, um, two curly brackets um, and then is flagged, um, which will tell you if it is flagged. So with, with flagged, because it's a Boolean, you'd, you'd actually put a hash in front of it. But then, you know, you've got things like two curly brackets and the word title will give you the title of the draft. Two curly brackets in the word tags gives you the tags. Permalink is permalink, body is body. Uh, UUID is UUID. You'll sense that there's a common theme here where a lot of these things are available as template tags as well, which is great. But because um, you know this is mustache templating, this is something that already exists and is used in other places, um, then you can also have for example, hashtag markdown inside of those curly brackets, which will then filter the 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 thing that comes out of there from a markdown to HTML conversion. Um, you can also uppercase things and lowercase things, URL escape things, HTML escape things, um, or even JavaScript escape things. So if you want to be able to insert some raw JavaScript and have it, you know, escape so that it doesn't run or something, then you can do that. Um, and I I just think it's a really nice sign of how powerful this this stuff has become that not only are people asking for this people are using it as well you know you end up seeing it in the draft forms because um you know so many people are going oh wait wait this is cool and they see an example of how somebody else is using it and go okay i really need this um and uh yeah it it just it every time i look at drafts i feel like i've missed about 17 releases um and i've still found so many new features like during that time that I don't feel like I could have missed anything anyway. Yeah. And I'm like looking at the mustache implementation, trying to figure out ways I can use it, but like an automator, almost more than using it is just the knowledge that exists. Like one of the things I can access is specific line numbers in the draft. So yeah. if you had like a line that always had the people at the meeting, you could say that's line four. Yeah. But then you can access that in whatever you're generating from the text. And 
um, and location and date data. I mean, even your longitude and latitude because it's on a mm. phone that has access to more data. You can change date formatting. It's, it's, it's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And some people have been doing some nice things with it. And, you know, I should note that it sounds like we're, we're saying that the mustache templating just came out in drafts. It, it did. It came out like a couple of years ago at the end of 2020. Um, but um, it, so it's been there for a while, but I've just seen more and more people recently messaging me going, oh, like, have you been playing with this? Because I've recently found a great use case for it. So it felt like it was a good time to mention it on automators. And uh, there was also a very cool action linked in the forums a little while ago about um, uh, a great uh, drafts action called mustache prompt. Um, which I'll link to in the uh, in the show notes so that you can um, find out about that. And essentially what it will do is it will um, let you create um, mustache templates through scripts a little more easily if that's something you'd like to do. Um, so you can have um, like your two curly brackets to open and date colon, and then you can give it a date name um, uh, or a variable name, and then you can it will pop up a, a date picker for you, which is really nice when you when you want to be able to create drafts templates, like complex drafts templates, perhaps, but you don't want to have to go through to the trouble of writing, you know, big lots of scripts and so on. So uh, yeah, you, you can just include this action and run from there. Which you know, I like the fact as well in drafts you can include an action. Um, so if you, if you, uh, you know, if you've created an action, you're like, oh, but I need to do this again. Um, but, um, you know, I, I don't need to, you know, do that bit over there. Then what you can do is you can include the original action or you can duplicate it and create a new one that you can include in both or whatever it is you like so that you've got some nice centralized logic instead of inventing the wheel again and again. Yeah. I just went through the thing with drafts where I kind of rebuilt the, the look and feel of the app. You know, that mm-hmm. that's another thing you can do is script, you know, which colors you use and fonts and all that. I, because I found myself tempted by some of the third party text editors out there. I played with a few of them and they, they all look pretty, but none of them have the drafts power. So I decided to make drafts. It's easier to make drafts look pretty than to make a pretty app have these features. <laughs> if that makes oh, yeah. sense, you know, it, so, it definitely is. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've gone through and, and redid that. The, are you into that, Rose? I mean, do you spend a lot of time setting up the the look and feel of your drafts app? Honestly, I find that I tend to sort of forget that this exists for a long period of time because yeah. everything's just working. Um, and then I'll find myself going, hmm, you know, why aren't I using drafts for this thing? Or why didn't I reach for drafts for this? And then I'll go through and, you know, update a template or something um, so that I've got a nicer preview of something or um, tweak a theme so that it's got some slightly nicer colors or that thing that was bugging me where this text was italic, but I didn't really want it to be italic, um, you know, it goes changes, um, you know, and the fact that you can do that is, is really nice. Um, uh, the one thing I have done though is my workspaces have different themes applied to them so that when I open a particular workspace, um, I can, you know, I can tell where I am in drafts because of the theming. Um, and then, you know, my default for opening drafts is it, it sets um, the the workspace to my default workspace um, and then, um, you know, uh, has that theme applied. But um, yeah, so I, I have got some of the theming and so on in there um, a little bit. And there's some really great ones that you can download from the drafts action site. Um, the action site is kind of a little misnomer now because it's got actions, it's got themes, it's got workspaces, action groups. But uh, it, it did start as the place where you can get all of the draft stuff. So it's it's going to be around for a while, which is great because it's got so much there. Yeah, there there are people out there for whom BB Edit is the hammer and everything is a nail. 
Uh, when it comes to text for me, drafts is the hammer. For me, drafts is more of a toolbox. Um, yeah, you sure. know, maybe it doesn't have all the power tools in it necessarily, but those have slowly been sneaking in over time with everything else because, uh, you know, every time, as as we mentioned, every time you look at the change log, there's there's new stuff in drafts, and you know, it releases new updates pretty frequently. Um, you know, big ones, I should say, not like small bug fixes and improvements. Though, obviously, Greg does release those um, with you know drafts um, as needed, but. There are, you know, there are a lot of um, things that are available in drafts and every so often, you know, you look at it and go, hmm, I wonder if, oh my God, I can do all of these things. That's amazing. I want to do that. Uh, and then I fall down a rabbit hole and spend four days writing draft sections and things like that, which is great. <laughs> Going back to Airtable, let's uh, talk about that because drafts scripting support is also there as well. Yes, yeah. So um, the the action support for drafts is um, basic is the wrong word for it, but it's essentially just create a dra- uh, create an Airtable record. Um, um, but if you want more, then of course there's more power available through scripting. And just like you could before, you can just use you know HTTP um, actions to to integrate with the API. So if you did that before, you don't need to change that. But what you can now do is you can actually create. Um, Airtable instances and use those in your actions instead. So instead of, you know, creating a HTTP call and, you know, spinning it all up with the headers and stuff so that you can talk to drafts, you can now actually do this directly with Airtable um, uh, through the scripting support. And I have been working on updating um, some of my actions for this because, of course, with the change of token, um, I'm, I need to update the token in drafts. Now, updating the token in drafts is not a problem. It's not difficult to do, but I decided to make it... Um, much uh, better and just update to use everything with um, the new Airtable integration instead um, so that I've got all of that uh, as well, which is quite nice. And so allowed me to go through and have a little bit of a spring clean in some of my draft sections too, to get rid of those that I don't need anymore. Yeah. It's like second level automation for Airtable. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's just really nice. You know, this gives you the opportunity to get um, your, your base schema, to list your bases. Um, and then of course you can create records, list records and update records, which are the things that you're most likely to be able to want to be able to do, um, at a time. Um, there isn't support for deleting records. Um, but, um, that is, I, I believe a very deliberate design choice because I'm sure a lot of people would accidentally delete stuff and get a little cranky, um, when they'd done so. And of course you can still do that via the HTTP, uh, requests if you need to. So I, I find that I tend not to delete records, um, through things like this. It tends to be through uh, automated actions, through something like Make or Zapier, where it can, uh, I have a view which will collect the things which will need deleting, and then they will get deleted sort of periodically every 24 hours um, or once a week or once a month or something instead of um, doing it as part of what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah, and I don't mind automating deletion, but I would just add a caveat there that be very, very careful when you set that up through automation. Like, make sure your ands and your ors are are separated properly. Yeah, yeah. So my trick for that is if you're going to automate an Airtable record deletion, start by adding a new column and call it deleted and make it a checkbox column. And then to start with, instead of actually deleting the records, set the checkbox to true and see what happens. Uh, and if some things get the checkbox that you didn't want to have the checkbox, then it's great. You can uncheck the checkbox and go back and tweak your automation and try again. Um, and then afterwards, when you're happy with it and you know that everything's right, then you can delete the records. 
Uh, but if you've got a checkbox to check to start with, then that is a good place to go. What you don't want is to have a thousand records delete unintentionally. Exactly. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Electric. Turning a small business into an empire takes work, and you have to keep your ear to the ground for things that will help you take it to the next level. But this can be hard when your attention is pulled in different directions, because that's the reality of being a boss. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they're on hand to help with time-consuming parts of your business, like standardized device security with the best in-class device management software so you can implement best practices across the board and be ready to scale. Employee onboarding and offboarding done for you, saving you an average of eight hours per request. Keeping a single point of visibility into your IT environment to control your devices, networks, and applications. Simplified reporting that allows you to achieve and maintain compliance and proactive IT recommendations and automated workflows, making IT easy to manage even for non-technical users. And look, if you're hearing this and you think your company could use some of the above services, but you're not sure where to start, Electric's experts will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT processes for your organization. Delegating is critical when it comes to getting stuff done. There are plenty of times where, yes, you can and should do it all, but when it comes to running a business, if you're spending eight hours onboarding a new employee when you should be spending eight hours, you know, preparing the thing that actually the company is about, then that's not just eight hours because that's a lot more time. Nobody else can do that. You're now behind. You can't catch up again. So there are many times where I would have loved to have something like electric and anybody who's thinking, gosh, IT is taking way too long with this sort of thing and they're doing the IT themselves really needs to go and check out electric. For Automators listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats solo free headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash automators. That's electric.ai slash automators. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats solo three headphones today for scheduling a meeting. Our thanks to Electric for their support of this show. So we have an update coming out after the show releases, uh, iOS 16.5, which is admittedly a smaller update than 16.4, not only for shortcuts, but for the operating system in general. But we do have a few updates that will be hitting your device as you update to 16.5. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, and one of them is, um, you know, for, for those of you who've noticed, there was a screen time sync bug um, in iOS 16.4 where you, the usage of the um, app wouldn't sync properly between platforms. Um, and that was really bugging me on some things. And I'm sure it was bugging some other people as well. And that's not fixed, which is great. Um, and, you know, this is not the only thing, but what I've really been, um, you know, I, I was quite happy in some ways to see that there weren't really any shortcuts updates in iOS 16.5 um, because um, that means that the shortcuts team are working super hard on what's coming at WWDC. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's always exciting um, when it's like, you know, 16.5 is, is, is here, but is there a specific shortcuts update? I mean, there, there, there are a couple of little tweaks that might be in there, you know, some sort of bug fixes and improvements, but there, there aren't any, um, release updates that people have explicitly noticed, um, which is quite good because that means shortcuts team are working hard. And quite frankly, they gave us a pretty nice present list in 16.4. Um, and I've been playing with that stuff a lot. Um, and it's been really helpful for me, um, to be able to use some of these features now. Because I think that was one of the things that I was missing before, you know, like being able to intercom um, is is quite cool. 
But the things that are really making a big difference for me are things like being able to toggle the always on display and being able to like log out um, on my Mac or put my display to sleep as part of a shortcut. And that has actually been huge as far as these up uh, as, you know, my shortcuts usage on Mac OS and iOS goes, because, you know, being able to toggle and out certifications has actually been very, very nice. Yeah. It, it, 16.4 was a big update in terms of automation. And I think you're right. I think that was kind of the last push for iOS 16. And after that, they probably moved full time into what we're going to get at the WWDC next month. Uh, but, but you're right. I also feel like there's a lot of really good quality of life improvements. Uh, you talked about intercom. I just want to bang the drum on that one more time. I am increasingly fighting excuses to send text to my home pods. It's just a great way to get a notification. And because it's scriptable through shortcuts, it's very easy. So any text that you can write a script to generate can come out of your, your home pods. And, uh, I, I'm continuing to find uses for it. Like I give it uh, auto audio alerts for me, like to end the day or to switch to a different, uh, you know, production thing that I'm working on. It's just a really good system for me. I, I love the audio component of it. Yes. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I live alone, so I have considerably less uses for this, um, but I have been tying this into um, my washing machine and, and tumble dryer and dishwasher updates so that when they're actually clean, need emptying, then it can intercom if I'm at home. Um, or, I mean, it can intercom if I'm not at home, but I, the automation I've been using is only when I'm at home to intercom um, and say, hey, you know, like the washing machine is done, uh, which is surprisingly effective for getting me out of my chair. The first time it happened, I think I possibly needed some assistance to be scraped off the ceiling um, because, you know, my, my home pod talked to me and I didn't prompt it to do so directly beforehand. Um, but, um, you know, it is nice having that there. And I can imagine for those folks with families and so on, having the ability to have intercom say, you know, data is ready with just the tap of a button, it would be, you know, very, very handy. Agreed. I really feel like overall, I guess we could just look at iOS 16 in general. I feel like we had a good year for automation, uh, probably the yeah. best year for automation from Apple that we've had yet. Um, frankly, the um, you know it was harder in the years prior. It seems like every year they were expanding. You know, first they had to get shortcuts working, then they had to kind of get the second tier tool set installed, which they didn't have the first year. Then they had to get the Mac version running, which I believe was you know it took some time to get that right. But this was the first full year we had where they didn't have one of those boil the ocean projects going on. And I feel like a lot of little subtle changes showed up because now they can spend time on that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Um, you know, once once you're not dealing with everything's on fire, then it's suddenly much easier to go, oh, wait, this this thing is bugging people. Um, you know, or they've been asking for this, or it would be really nice if we could expand and add this. Um, and then they've been able to go and do so. So for me, one of the things that I have um, really been benefiting from massively, as far as the shortcuts updates goes, is, um, I mean, this is partially the focus mode integration, but it's also then available as an action in shortcuts. But things like toggling the always on display um, is really, really useful. And also toggling announce notifications. Now, announce notifications can't be toggled through the focus modes directly, um, but it can be toggled through shortcuts, which means that I can turn on announce notifications 
with certain focus modes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, obviously, um, announced notifications can be turned on automatically with CarPlay, and that's great. Um, but I actually usually um, have um, a period of time when I get home after I've driven home from somewhere um, where I'm going to be sort of, you know, dashing around the house, sorting things out, putting things away and things like that. And during that time, I still don't want to be missing any notifications, especially if I've been having a conversation with somebody sort of on and off in the car um, through through messages um, and, and Siri um, helping us communicate. Um, and so what I found now is um, that um, when I when my driving mode disables, it checks if I'm at home or uh, approximately at home. And then if if I am, then it will turn on announced notifications for me by turning on another focus mode, um, which is um, I can't remember what I called that focus mode now. I have to have a look uh, after the show. But I, I have a focus mode, which is essentially Rose is going slightly mad. Um, and then um, it, it has announced notifications on. And that focus mode gets turned on for half an hour after um, I get or for a period of half an hour when I get home um, if I've been driving. Um, and then I can also use that well when doing other things as well, which is just, it's really nice that all of this can sort of tie in together so that you have all of these options. Um, and also, fun fact, the airdrop um, preference receiving stuff. Um, I actually at the weekend created a shortcut for a friend um, that is on the home screen of their phone. So now when they tap on it, it pops up and asks them, hey, do you want um, airdrop for everyone? Then they tap yes to confirm and then it just turns on airdrop to everyone for 10 minutes because that's all it can do. Um, but that's, you know, that was something that they were they were struggling a little bit. Um, they, they've got some motor issues, so they were struggling a little bit to uh, um, tap and hold in the control center to get into those um, preference areas. Um, and going into settings can take, you know, quite a few taps. But now they have a home screen button for it, which is great. I really feel like that's a separate topic for us someday. We should uh, build a whole group of automations you can create for non-geek friends through shortcuts. Because there's a lot of little things like that where people have trouble uh, changing settings or making something happen that they could really use every day. But they're never going to go figure out how to do it and they're going to forget how to do it, but you give them a, an airdrop button and it, it changes the, you know, the airdrop recipients. And I feel like that's something we should probably cover a day because mm. I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of listeners would have good ideas for that too, but uh, it's just something that for non nerd friends, we can allow them to take advantage of shortcuts, even if we're kind of doing the work for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I recently created a shortcut for my ballet t-shirt because the music was formatted with the exercise after the name of the track. And of course, as far as she's concerned, the exercise is the most important part. So I was able to create a little uh, shortcut that just shows her the list with the exercise first and the name of the track second, which just solved the whole problem for her. And she's really thrilled with it. She probably thinks you're a rock star now. Well, she certainly greatly appreciated my assistance, which was which was lovely. I mean, I greatly appreciate her ballet classes. So, you know, I think that that was uh, beneficial for both of us there. But uh, yeah, the what other uh, iOS 16.4 and macOS 13.3 and watchOS 9.4 updates are you using in shortcuts, David? Well, one of the ones I wanted to talk to you about is you're putting the sleep to uh, the computer to sleep uh, with the shortcut because Mm. Starting with 16.4, you can shut down, restart, lock display, log out, sleep, and put the put the device to sleep. All mm. with shortcuts. I mean, not all of those are on all the platforms, but you you know what I mean. Like uh, the the restart yeah. is on the phone, whereas the uh, the put display to sleep is on the Mac. But 
but you are using those. Uh, could you tell us a little bit how you're using those? Because I haven't really found a use for it. I, I have the Apple keyboard, and maybe that's why I don't find a use for it, because I've got the Touch ID button. I just press the button when I walk away, and it takes care of it for me. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm using this for is actually, um, you know, and and this is part of a longer shortcut that I wrote um, that is then run through um, Keyboard Maestro of all things, actually. I could probably have written everything that I needed to do in Keyboard Maestro, but as it is, I only have my iPad with me and I realized I needed to um, run a series of actions on my Mac that was at home and and shut it down and my internet connection wasn't great. So I wasn't confident that I was going to be able to remote desktop in. You know, my home internet was fine, but my, my, my internet where I was with my iPad was not great. Um, and I wanted to do uh, a bunch of things there and then, you know, shut it down. Um, actually, no, I think I wanted to restart it. That was it. But it, it doesn't matter either way what I, what I wanted to do. Um, and so I wrote a shortcut that would do pretty much everything. Um, the only thing I, I had to try and do via remote desktop, which did work, was add um, a, um, a, a sleep action in there because the sleep action is only available on the Mac. Um, it's not available on um, iOS. Um, so it's log out, sleep and put display to sleep are um, iOS only, uh, are Mac OS only, sorry. Um, but um uh, yeah, so I, I I had this, and so it just kind of ran through, ran some ran some scripts to to clear some stuff up, and and so on, and then um, it restarted the machine for me, which worked great. Um, I was very pleased with it, um, and I came home, you know, a couple of hours later, and my machine had been restarted as I had hoped it would be. Um, so yeah, it you know I've just added this into some other stuff. Um, it tends to be where I've already got um, a shortcut that I am using like as part of a shutdown routine. Um, and then I can just add the the shutdown or the restart or the put display to sleep into that instead of having it as a separate action run through something else afterwards. Um, but um, it, it's quite nice, you know, at the end of my day, um, I don't just put my display to sleep or, you know, sleep my computer. I do actually have a, an action that I run that will quit any apps that, you know, I, I I probably don't want to leave running overnight or don't need to leave running overnight um, and and do everything and then put the machine to sleep or shut it down, depending. So, for example, before I go into the office, um, you know, we, we had some feedback asking for a project um, prep a little while ago. And I mentioned, you know, before I go into the office, I have a checklist that I follow of a bunch of things to do. One of the things I do is I run a shortcut, which will um, kill a bunch of apps that I don't need and things like that. Um, and uh, shut my machine down. Now you might be thinking, shut your machine down, surely that kills all the apps. It does, um, unless the um, restart apps option is checked. Um, but, um, you know, this is quite nice because then it can do all these things and it will actually pop up the checklist um, in OmniFocus for a little bit. Um, and then, you know, a little bit later, it will then start shutting down my machine. That's the That's the whole automation that I've got running um, with a bunch of steps excluded. But the fact that I can have like the end of the, the end of the section, um, or the final puzzle piece, as it were, in shortcuts also shut the machine down for me is great. Um, cause now when I get to the office, I don't have to worry that, you know, I've had loads of servers and stuff running in the background and, uh, it's, it's killed my, uh, my battery life. Uh, another thing I've been playing with more is True Tone. I feel like True Tone is something I have a mixed feelings toward. When it first came out, I tried it and I couldn't tell that it made any difference. But at the same time, I've really been trying to work on, you know, sleeping more regularly and being more careful about this stuff. So I re-enabled it, uh, I don't know, three or four months ago. And one of the nice new features is I can now add an automation trigger, not only to turn it on, 
but to turn it off. So if I'm doing something in the evening and I notice my screen is true toning itself to yellow, uh, I can uh, run a script that takes it out. I can also incorporate it into things. Like if I'm going to start screencasting, I want to do a screencast setup. I always make a point of turning true tone off and it's just a nice little trigger. It's not something I need all the time, but Apple gave that to me for free with 16.4. And I find it sneaking its way into several of my shortcuts now. Yes. And it's just really nice to be able to do things like that, you know, like turning on and off announce notifications or turning on and off stage manager um, as well, which, you know, it it all adds up. Um, and the fact that things like your device details can now get the OS build number, um, that that doesn't sound like a big deal. But then I've got, for example, my Pushcut Automation server, which is sitting right here, um, which is a great device. Um, and I kind of forget it exists a lot of the time, which is good and bad for all of the reasons. Uh, the bad part is that it, I, you know, forget that it needs updating because it's just sitting there running shortcuts all the time. Um, and so, you know, I have a, a shortcut now that runs once a week that checks the, um, current, um, OS build number and checks whether or not I should have updated it. And if I should, then it tells me, uh, adds a, a thing to OmniFocus, um, to do so. Um, and, you know, find photos can now find your screen recordings, which is great because then you don't actually have to, you know, uh, figure out a different way to filter your screen recordings in shortcuts. So now I can actually get my screen recordings from today and decide if I want to keep them um, or not. Um, and it's that's the sort of thing that ends up adding up a, a lot for productivity improvements with automation. And I really believe that the trick to this is knowing of the existence of these these actions with shortcuts, well, any really any automation, but particularly shortcuts, because when you start building automations, if you know that you have the ability to run that toggle or to turn off True Tone, then you may have a circumstance where it makes sense to use it, but you're never going to use it if you don't know it's there. Exactly. And I think that's the thing where, um, you know, if, if, if you, yeah, you don't know what you don't know, right? Um, but by hopefully listening to this podcast and, and others, you'll find out about all these things where you can do things that you wanted to solve. Um, and, and that's where it all ends up sort of adding up because yeah, I, I think a lot of my automation ideas and so on come from just somebody mentions something and they might not be talking automation, but because they mentioned something, it then twink, you know, makes something click in my brain and, 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 you know, that trigger is fired and then suddenly my brain goes, oh, well, that's useful. You know, so yeah, it's uh, nice. You know, you can now move a window um, on Mac OS with shortcuts, which you couldn't do before. And of course, all of these things got a little bit more powerful um, uh, as, you know, time went on just because more, more apps are adding their own shortcuts actions. So moving a window on its own might not be something you want to do. But once you've got an action from an app that you do want to have a window open for it, but maybe the app always opens the action, the window, you know, in the middle of your your current display, and you want it to move into the top right hand corner of your secondary display. Well, now you can do that, and you can combine that, that all together with shortcuts. Can I just say, Rose, that I think the um, the inflection of your inner voice is precious. You know that that oh, you can now do this thing. Yeah. That oh. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, oh, is it the meerkats? I think it might be the meerkats uh, in um, Madagascar where they're all sitting there and they go, ooh, at yes. the same time. Yes, yes. Well, that's Rose and me when we're looking at shortcuts tools, gang. That's that's it. We, we are the meerkats. 
<laughs> well, there, there are worse things in life, you know. At least we've got nice big eyes. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Factor. Go to factormeals.com slash automators50 for healthy, fully prepared food delivered to your door and get 50% off your first box. Spring is here, and who doesn't want wholesome and convenient meals to energize you for warmer, more active days and to keep you on track and reaching your goals? Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and tackle everything on your to-do list. If you're too busy to cook, you can skip the trip to the grocery store, skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back outside to soak up the warmer weather. Factor offers delicious, flavor-packed options on the menu each week to fit a variety of lifestyles, including keto, calorie smart, which are around or less than 550 calories per serving, vegan and veggie, which you have the option to add protein on selected meals, and protein plus, which gives you 30 grams of protein or more per serving. And because they're prepared by chefs and approved by dietitians, each meal has everything you need. With more than 34 weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can choose from more than 45 add-ons, including breakfast items like apple cinnamon pancakes, bacon and cheddar egg bites, and potato bacon and egg breakfast skillet, plus cold-pressed juices, shakes, and smoothies. And if you're looking to pack in more protein, you can add on filling options like a salmon filet or chicken wings to your Factor meal. Not only is Factor cheaper than takeout, but meals are ready faster than restaurant delivery in just two minutes. And you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice because Factor offsets 100% of their delivery emissions to your door, source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices, and features sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. I like to cook dinner for my wife when she's off at work, and when she comes home, I like to have it ready for her. So I signed up for Factor to give it a try. Man, it's good. We got stuffed pepper casserole, and it was delicious. String beans, stuffed peppers, got it ready in no time at all, and it was honestly much better than something I could have made, and it was delicious. And the two-minute thing is right. You can get these meals ready in no time. This may get factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes, no prep, no mess. Head to factormeals.com slash automators5050, you got to put that at the end, and use the code automators50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code automators50 at factormeals.com slash automators50 to get that 50% off your first box. Give it a try, you won't regret it. And our thanks to Factor for their support of the Automators podcast and all of Relay FM. Well, we're trying to keep up with questions and answers. There's always a lot coming in. Uh, we got a couple. Uh, one was on Mastodon. Yeah, yeah. So I had some feedback sent to me um, on Mastodon, which was lovely. Um, uh, as just saying that um, after our recent uh, Q and A episode or automated feedback show, um, that um, the the segment where we talked about um, you know our project list and specifically my automations from my day at the office, um, it really spoke to Josh. Um, and so he's created his own little shortcuts to schedule events in a calendar and create a little bag checklist as well as things to do the day before, such as ironing an outfit and setting the alarm earlier. 
Um, and so he was really grateful that I shared that. And I'm, I'm really glad I did as well, because it is the sort of thing where, okay, yeah, a checklist um, of, of this stuff might be, you know, kind of almost silly and redundant in some ways. But that day that you forget your charger will be the day that you then go, why don't I use a checklist for this stuff? And this is why I always use a checklist. You know, last time I was in the office, my boss didn't even ask anybody else in the room. He just came and said, Rose, do you have a USB key that's got 32 gigabytes of moral storage on, on it? And it's like, yes, yes, I do. I have one of these in my handbag at all times because I'm a weirdo. And it's USB-C at one end and USB-A at the other. It's a SanDisk for anybody who's curious. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I have my checklist, so I have things like that with me at all times. And that is just really helpful. Checklists are never bad ideas. Let's just say yeah. that straight out. Don't ever shame yourself for having a checklist. That's how airplanes stay in the sky. Yep, exactly. That's how airplanes stay in the sky, how surgeries go successfully, and a number of other things, which you can read about in the checklist manifesto. But that's also basically how my life runs. You know, my checklist every day consists of check if I need to do this, check if I need to do that, check if I need to do the other thing. And if I don't need to do them, I get to check them off. If I do need to do them, then when I when I check them, there's a, a thing in the notes where I can add those texts uh, in there for me. So uh, yeah, those tasks in. So makes my life easier heard from mike love listening to you guys but i'm confused which automation platform should i learn first shortcuts apple script java what <laughs> he said what? okay well i have a very good piece of advice from mike that i'm going to start with do not learn java if you want something scripty you probably mean javascript yeah. uh, if you learn java you're going to be doing a lot of typing long variable names and class names and function names are, are common in java in fact that's the style choice of the language um you may want javascript because that can run on your phone and your ipad and a mac um you might want shortcuts because if you don't have any experience with writing automations it's quite nice to have blocks that you can drag and drop into place apple script could be a good choice if you're just looking to automate stuff on the mac um, Keyboard Maestro might be a good choice if you want to be able to download lots of Mac automations that people have already made and just use them. Um, it really kind of depends. What do you think, David? I think it depends on what problem you're trying to solve. Like, um, uh, if you just want to start learning automation, I would recommend shortcuts because it's very easy to get started. It's drag and drop, like Rose was saying. And what I would emphasize is do not try to make, you know, hundred action shortcuts, just make short little shortcuts that solve little problems. Uh, honestly, I think that's what it's really best at. And you'll be surprised with an afternoon, how much you can learn and how immediate, how quickly you can bring this into your life and, and start getting some benefit from it. So I think that's like a very easy on ramp, like trying to start with Apple script is a bad idea because it's a programming language and it's a little bit funky as a programming language. So like you could spend months at it before you really get good enough to use it. Whereas shortcuts, you're going to get immediate payoff. Um, mm -hmm. Now, if you're trying to solve specific problems, then it's a different story. Like if you are, you've got a bunch of documents and you want to just get really good at automating documents, I would recommend learn Hazel. You know, Hazel's a great app, but it really shines when it's managing documents. Um, if you're doing, um, you know, if you're doing something like shortcuts and you're getting good at it, but you want to go a level deeper, then I think you go to Keyboard Maestro, which like has some more powerful tools. And I know that people will write me saying there's things that shortcuts can do that Keyboard Maestro can't, but uh, I'm going to assume you've already got a handle on shortcuts when you go to short, to Keyboard Maestro, and then you can combine them. 
Um, the mm. good the good knowledge of all this, I really think, is that all of this stuff at this point builds on each other. And mm-hmm. yeah. you, once you learn shortcuts, maybe you go to Keyboard Maestro, then suddenly things like AppleScript, JavaScript, all that stuff becomes additive. Yeah. And you can learn it as you need it. But but my recommendation, if you're getting started with automation, is start easy. And uh, I can confidently say, no matter which Apple platform you're on, that's shortcuts. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely also recommend shortcuts. Um, if you are, you know, if if you're a programmer and you've already, you know, done some of this stuff before, maybe even if it was a while ago and you're like, eh, I'm not sure about drag and drop blocks. I kind of really wanted, you know, type something. I definitely be recommending JavaScript um, as the language just because then you can create actions for Obsidian or uh, extensions for Obsidian. You can create actions for drafts. Yeah. Um, you can create Safari bookmarklets and all sorts of things. Um, and you know, that gives you a lot of options and especially with, um, the, with things like scriptable and, and so on, then, you know, JavaScript is just a a good place to start, um, for that. But really, um, you, you should probably look at shortcuts first. Um, and don't forget, you know, if you're there going, okay, but what if I can't do something in shortcuts and I need AppleScript or I need drafts or I need keyboard maestro? Well, uh, Shortcuts has got great action support for, you know, lots of things. And more importantly, those apps have got action support in Shortcuts. So you can run a drafts action on a draft or on text. You can run Apple Script. You can run a Keyboard Maestro macro. It's called Execute Macro. That's the name of the action. Um, but you can you can do all of these things from the other stuff. So if you find that you can, you know, just download this bit from here or copy that bit from there, then you can stick it all together, um, you know, duct tape, superglue, WD-40, whatever it is you need, you can stick all that stuff in your automation. Your automation does not have to be pretty. Your automation has to work and do the thing that you need. And then once you figure out how to make it do the thing that you need it to do, then at some point you can come back and work on making it look pretty. But a pretty automation that doesn't work is useless. Uh, An automation that works is priceless. Yeah. And spend a little time. And if you're getting started from just the beginning, like I said, just make some small shortcuts. You'll be surprised how quickly you can start picking this stuff up and spend some time going through the available actions. Rose has a book. I have a field guide. There's, there's, there's resources out there where you can learn about this stuff, but just becoming aware of the tool set is going to send you right on your way, Mike. You're going to be great. Uh, we yes, also, we also definitely. heard from Susan. Uh, she's like, you guys keep talking about focus modes. I want to take better advantage of them, but I don't know how to get started. Any advice? Well, I mean, my first piece of advice would be if you're not already using the sleep and the driving focus modes, um, you should take a look at those. If you don't drive um, and therefore driving focus mode seems useless to you, but you do commute, for example, you take trains or buses or walk, cycle, whatever, um, then look at creating a commuting focus mode uh, instead, which gives you the things that you need. Because for me, the power of focus mode really is, you know, Yes, there are shortcuts automations that can take advantage of focus modes and be triggered by focus modes starting and 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 ending. But for me, the the biggest um, you know wins come from doing things like customizing the screens that I see, changing which calendars show up. Um, so filtering my calendars, filtering my inboxes, automatically changing my watch face, and so on. So if when you go to the gym, you want a particular watch face, well, um, or when you do a workout at home, you want a particular watch face. You want a fitness focus mode and you want to set a watch face for it. Um, You know, if you want wallpaper at the weekend that looks like this, um, then you can create a weekend focus mode. It doesn't have to turn off any notifications or turn anything um, else on. It can just, you know, 
change your lock screen. Um, but you can also change your home screens and things like that as well. Um, and don't forget the schedules. You can have multiple schedules for focus mode. So that means you can have multiple locations, multiple apps, multiple time sets, um, all sorts of things. So really, I would just go in and look at the focus filters um, and see, you know, if you use DevonThink, then you can filter your databases. Um, if you use GoodLinks, you can filter your tags. If you use 1Password, you can choose the account or collection that you want to use. Um, Agenda, Messages, Safari, Streaks, all of these apps, um, even TaskKeed has got support for this in Safari. And then you've also got things like um, your always on display, the appearance and low power mode. Um, so you can turn on and off the always on display, set your appearance to light mode or dark mode um, and um, have low power mode turn on or off automatically as part of a focus mode. Um, so, you know, maybe you've got uh, a trip coming up and you're going to be doing some travel or you're not going to have access to power. So maybe you create a travel focus mode, which also puts your phone in low power mode so that you, you know, have low power mode on all the time while you're traveling. That could be quite useful. Yeah. And I, I would recommend also like where a few minutes ago I was saying, don't make a hundred step shortcut. I feel like every time I talk about focus modes, I am recommending you set up a hundred step shortcut. I, I think I have gone so far down the rabbit hole of focus modes that I've lost the thread for some people that just want it to be easy. I was talking to a Max Berkey Labs member recently who, you know, when they go to church, his wife just didn't want the phone to ring except if it was like her daughter. So he set up a really simple focus mode, you know, punched a hole in it for a few select people, and he added a location trigger. So when she gets to church, it turns on automatically. When she leaves church, it turns off automatically. And it really should be that simple. So my recommendation, Susan, would be to find some part of your life where you would like to change the way you interact with your device, you know, where you want it to be less noisy and build a simple focus mode for that and start simple and then just start gradually adding on to it. And as you learn the process of doing that, it's, it, it'll come natural. If you listen to automators, you'll figure it out. And then before you know it, you'll start making more Boy, I sure hope one of the announcements we get at WWDC is they give us more than ten focus modes. Um, but the, <laughs> uh, but but I, I'm an edge case. I think a lot of people are just fine with just a couple, you know, two or three of them. But the way to get started is just pick an area of your life where you want your phone to be less busy in your life and set up a focus mode for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean. It is as simple as that. And if you think, well, I don't have any areas in my life where I don't, where, you know, I want to fill through that, think then a little more laterally of, I would like my um, wallpaper to be different, or I would like to have um, completely different widgets on the home screen of my phone. So you create another home screen and you you show that home screen instead or something like that. Um, because there, there are so many things that you can do with this. So it is a case of go have a little play um, and check out um, Apple has a little guide as well on focus modes. Um, so we can put a link to that in the show notes um, so that folks can have a look there. But yeah, it, it is just a case of start simple um, and then see what happens. All right. I think we'll end it there. We are the Automators podcast. You can find us at relay.fm slash automators. You can find our forums at talk.automators.fm. I want to thank our sponsors today. That's our friends at ExpressVPN, Electric, and Factor. 
Uh, on Automators Max today, Rose and I are going to talk about transitioning and auditing existing automations. We've got some cool stuff to talk about there. That is the ad-free version of the show. If you subscribe, you're going to get that. Otherwise, we'll see you next time. Goodbye, folks.